This is Top Floor, episode 13. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash 13. Welcome to Top Floor with Susan Berry. This weekly podcast right up to the top floor features tangible tips and excellent stories from the experts and characters who elevate hospitality. And now your host and elevator operator, Susan Berry. Welcome to the show. Our guest today is Jana Robinson, founder and principal event strategist of Defined by Design Events. Although she graduated with the dream of a career in music marketing, Jana Robinson took a position with the May Company of Department Store Fame for the security of a regular salary. After dabbling and planning events on the side, she moved from fashion buyer to event planner. At Capital Area Food Bank, Jana spent seven years turning what were previously grassroots parties like the Blue Jeans Ball into multi-million dollar fundraisers. When she went out on her own full-time, Jana created a company defined by design that reflected all of these experiences. In today's episode, Jaina and I are going to talk about how the events business is changing and what to look forward to this holiday season. But before we start, we need to answer the call button. The emergency call button is our hotline for hospitality professionals who have burning marketing questions. If you have a question of your own, you can reach us at 850-404. 9630. Today's question was submitted by Margie. And Margie asks, How far in advance should I start marketing a conference that is open to the public? This is a good and hard question. What do you think, Jaina? Yes, it is. I thank you, Margie, for your question. I think that an event that is open to the public that you're planning and trying to market for, you should at least allow yourself six to eight months in advance prior to the event. Do you want to allow yourself time to build a plan, just decide what the market will be, who you're targeting, and how you want to reach that audience? And so I think that amount of time allows you the planning, the creative, the time to create the content, and really get it out and disperse it so that you Or at least it doesn't mean that you have to necessarily send an invitation out at that point. But I think it's great to start dropping little teasers, going on social media, sort of like save the dates and really getting the excitement around the event built. That's a good point. And in an earlier episode, we talked about making a marketing calendar, particularly for hotels who have regular events that happen every year, like a Mother's Day brunch, Mm -hmm. and that they put on their calendar a minimum of six months in advance Mm. of Mother's Day to start planning for Mother's Day. So I'm really happy to hear that you agree. I know that some of your first events were put together with a group of friends. Can you talk a little bit about Hush and about Tasteful Tuesday? What was the inspiration behind creating that stuff? Yes. Hush. That takes me back to some great memories with some great friends. (laughs) I would say the inspiration really started 
with us just having a love and a passion for gathering and for networking and really finding a space for young professionals to get together. And Hush was an official business that we started together. And we started thinking about what was sort of missing in the market for young professionals. What type of events did we want to see? And Tasteful Tuesday came about. And really what that is in a nutshell, it was a networking event for young professionals. And we would pick a restaurant every month, a new restaurant every month that we would travel to and invite everyone to come and try and taste the menu. It started off small and organic and it just grew and grew and grew. People were like, Tasteful Tuesdays, are you going to that next month? And it just became a thing. It was really exciting to see like that little idea kind of grow. The restaurants were excited. We picked a night that was typically not a busy night so that they would negotiate with us on bringing a group in. That's how we came up with Tuesday. What do you think was the biggest lesson you took away from that early experience? The group was... It's a large group of women. And I think the assumption was everyone wanted to do the same thing. Everyone wanted to do the events. And I think looking back on it, I think it would have been great to really have everyone kind of shine and highlight their specialty or their expertise because we had some finance girls in the group. We had marketing, you know, so it was a, a variety. And I think in the beginning, we all tried to do one thing. And event planning was my passion, but not necessarily everyone's. Got it. Like aces in places, as it were. Yeah, yeah. When you joined Capital Area Food Bank, you had event planning experience from May Company. But I know that you became responsible for much larger events and a bigger variety of events. How did you flex your skills? Well, it was two different worlds. I will tell you that. You're going from a corporate buying world where you're basically trying to create events in a department store with clothing racks and creating space for catering and entertainment. And I mean, that was a a really, you have to be really creative in that, in that type of space to say, how can I generate an event in a department store? It was very bottom line driven and how much you were bringing in and creating this fun events um, for a profit. And even though I did events for 50 up to about 500 while I was working for the May company, the, the goal and the mission was a little bit different. But the skill set that I believe that I gained from working there were really a great transition and foundation moving into the Capital Area Food Bank. It was very different doing Blue Jeans Ball and those like larger galas, but I also did smaller events. But when you're fundraising, that is a different skill set that you have to tap into. But a lot of the foundation of what I learned from event planning still applied and still transitioned over when I went into the food bank because... Again, having to be very detailed, creative, come up with creative and fun ways to throw an event on a limited budget. I'm interested in how the mission of the food bank impacted the way that you executed events. I was thinking about this and how to ask this question. And, you know, on, on the one hand, in some ways, it might be easier to get, say, sponsors for an event because there's literally no one who can be opposed to the mission of a food bank, right? Right. But then on the other hand, I wondered if there were ever challenges about the expenses of things like decor, like maybe centerpieces or whatever. You know, was there ever sort of this push and pull of, well, we can get a beautiful centerpiece and make this a really nice event, but then how many meals would that provide via the food bank? That may be a little bit too uh, black and white of a question, but what were sort of the pluses and minuses of having a mission like that? 
Great question. And I understand exactly what you're, you're trying to say. Uh, so the food bank, I think the plus is that the mission was strong. It was very clear. They were a very well-developed organization by the time I arrived. There was a lot of support already there and present. So it was easy to kind of utilize their donor base and, and really kind of uh, capitalize off of that. But then I was also charged with finding new donors, new sponsors, and how to really take an event that existed and grow it knowing that I had never, ever done a fundraiser of that magnitude before. And, but I think, again, having that strong mission made my job easier. I also believed in the mission too, which I think was really great. I loved what the food bank represented, what they were doing in the community. So when I was speaking to someone about the food bank, it came from a very passionate place. I wasn't just doing a sales pitch. It was something that I really believed in. That also helped. The challenges, obviously, when you're working with any nonprofit, is trying to work with your budget and really figure out how to utilize your network. I mean, let me tell you what, I learned how to be, I feel like a master negotiator working <laughs> at the food bank. The amount of money I learned how to save from working there is a skill set I use to this day. And being able to do that, it really is a skill set. I will say one thing we were very smart about at the food bank when it came to decor and centerpieces is that we tried to incorporate the mission into the centerpieces and then repurpose them. So for example, we would use fruits and vegetables, incorporating some floral, but using things that they can actually donate or we could donate back to the food bank. Oh, that's really so, cool. Right? So it's like we would come up with these concepts and if we were going to build centerpieces out of cans, let's say, uh, canned foods, we would get those donated from a grocer that was already a partner and then we would give it back to the food bank or we would use fresh vegetables and fruits to put in lemons into the vases, those kinds of things. So I think getting creative when you work for a nonprofit is really key. But also I think the other biggest challenge I will say is trying to grow an event because as you grow the event, you get more sponsors. They have more expectations. They want to see the event evolve. There is that balance of still evolving an event and growing it and making it feel special without breaking the bank. That is a challenge to balance those two. But I feel like we did that very well when I was there. And I'm proud of that, actually. That idea of reusing the centerpieces is so smart. It just gives me chills. And I love that it was mission-driven. You talked about how the mission of the food bank made it easier for you to pitch sponsors. I know, obviously, the Washington, D.C. area market is political, you might say, Mm -hmm. and (laughs) (laughs) with sort of organizations of every type, every stripe. Right. How do you handle or how would you advise another event planner to handle doing projects and doing events for organizations where the mission may not coincide as well with your personal passion? I think that's a hard one for me. question for me because I have to say, I'm going to be honest, I have never out of my almost 18 years of doing event planning yet been approached or worked on something that I didn't believe in to a certain extent. And it could be the industry that I'm in. I I work a lot in the nonprofit world and I, I do weddings and social too, but that's also the nonprofit social justice world is sort of where I've been sitting since I went out on my own. So it's a tough question for me because I feel like I've I've really been fortunate to have projects come across my plate that I really do believe in and really support, which makes it even more exciting for me to work on the projects. I think if someone, if another planner 
were presented with an opportunity that they didn't necessarily align with their beliefs, I think they would have to just really weigh the pros and the cons of if it's something that really they could sit with and really just put the other stuff aside and plan and really think about if that's something that they can do. I would have them look at all the different components and really see if at the end of the day that is where they want their business to go and visit in line with their brand and their mission. I wonder if that's the answer in and of itself that if right? you truly understand your own values and your business's values, then the business follows or the money follows as I agree. I believe that truly because I feel like that's sort of what I've tried to do and build with my own business and it's worked out well. Follow your own mission and brands and instincts about what you what you believe and what you want to do and what projects. There's a, there's a project out there for everyone, right? So you don't have to be the right fit for every project that comes across your, your desk. It's a good point. <laughs> you mentioned both nonprofit and social justice type events yes. and weddings and social events. Mm -hmm. I'm interested if there is a strategic reason why you handle all different types of events mm -hmm. or if it's just to like keep yourself excited. Why don't you have one specialty or one lane that you stay in? The reason why I decide to go into or to specialize in different areas of event planning is because it's a reflection of my career and of my experiences. I've been fortunate enough though to, to have experience doing corporate events and planning holiday parties and, you know, fashion shows, working on fashion shows and picking up clothes, but then planning galas and fundraisers and weddings and social events. It's also a representation of my personality, I believe, and, a, and of who I am, because I don't want to be in, in a box. I really love touching all the different elements of those events. From the very beginning, I've been able to work on both sides and I, I don't want to give that up. I don't feel like I should or should have to. I really feel like I can mesh all of those worlds and all those experiences to really create some fun events and really bring in those different elements into my projects. And I think that's a benefit. That reminds me a lot of my business. It's sometimes hard for me to describe what I do because <laughs> I have a value in my business, which is that I want around 50% of the projects I'm working on at any given time to be things I've never done before. Mm -hmm. That's pretty hard to describe <laughs> <laughs> the whole universe of stuff I've never done before, but <laughs> because it keeps you excited and engaged mm -hmm. and... Mm -hmm. Having fun. I completely understand where you're coming from. I, I support. I'm with you on that 100%. And like I said, that's why I think it also is a personality thing too. Some people might get overwhelmed by that thinking, but I'm like you. I'm like, oh, it keeps it exciting. And you get to meet all different types of people and you're working with companies and individuals, different relationships you're building. So... You know what I, I just realized? What? It may be because we're both Geminis. Our birthdays are one day apart. So maybe, it's right. maybe we both... Gemini have, power! Yes, we both have split personalities. So that's right. what's going on. So make, what do you want me to be? What do you want me to be today? Do you want me to be corporate? Do you need me to be, you know, <laughs> your wedding? What do you need? No, that's but I think it's, it's worked out very well. And I'm really happy that and, and honored to work on all those different types of events. As a live event planner, what are some of the adjustments that you've had to make over the last two years to accommodate hybrid or virtual events? Oh, my favorite topic. <laughs> I think I'm in the boat with a lot of planners when they say that when the pandemic hit and 
we realized live events were going to be no more, like not happening at that time. Everyone was like, oh my goodness, you know, the virtual world, what is this? What, how do I fit in? What do I need to learn? We're all jumping on calls, conferences, meet. Like it was like a frenzy of like event planners. Like, what are we doing? There was a large group of event planners that did not know that world and had to learn it. And so for me, I look at, in the beginning, it was a little bit scary and daunting. But now that I look back, that was a great thing because that was an additional skill set that we learned. And even though we may not necessarily always be in a virtual only space, I had to learn about platforms. I had to learn what platforms were going to be right for my client. The same way a venue is right for an event. You don't think of it that way, but really when you're doing all your research, and especially now in 2020, you know, platforms were emerging and it it wasn't like it is now. Now everybody's got a platform, you know, and there's so many things to choose from and to pick from. And you have to really know what your client's end goal is and match the platform to to that client like I said, working with social justice organizations where the energy in the room is key and important. And so that energy you're feeding off of in a space now needs to be translated into a virtual space and you still have to create a dynamic program. On top of having to learn the virtual world, you had to also learn how to take your events that you were currently doing and transition them into a different space. Were there any of your existing skills that you were surprised at how well that translated from live to virtual or anything that you were surprised didn't translate? I think the foundation of planning event still applied to the virtual space because whether you're running the technical side of the platform or not, there's still the production program piece of it, right? And you have to still create a program that is going to be dynamic and speak to your your mission and get all of that out to your audience, right? And so, yes, it's a little different in the virtual space, but that production piece and program piece, that's still trying to come up with a dynamic program still applies. And it actually applies even more because you're trying to get the attention of people that are sitting at home and you're trying to keep them energized and excited, right? And so, yeah, also when you're planning a live program, And for me personally, I'm thinking of what things can I throw in to excite the audience or what entertainment pieces or what video content or, you know, all of those things translated over to virtual in regards to coming up with content that is exciting. And the part that I thought was also interesting that maybe sometimes may not translate as well is trying to get the speakers that are speaking at a live event that are maybe naturally charismatic feed off of an audience. And so they get in front of an audience, right? And you have no problem. You, have, you can give them some tools and tips of what to say and do. And they're great because it's they're feeding off the energy of the audience. You can put that same charismatic person into a virtual space where they don't have that. And sometimes it may, you have to coach a little more and it might be a little flat. Maybe you need to give a little bit more love to with the virtual world, right? But you didn't think about that. Does that make sense? It's interesting. Tracy Judge, who is the founder and CEO of Soundings, was a guest on another episode. And she talked about how the empathy piece of being the day of planner translated whether you were live or online or virtual that sort of this handling of your speakers and your mm-hmm. presenters and all that stuff yeah. the the need and the skill of empathy works regardless of the venue or the platform totally agree with that 100% 
because it's a different world for some of the speakers. It's still just kind of coaching people through and making them feel confident on camera in this weird space for them, right? And the empathy piece is huge uh, on both sides. I totally agree. <laughs> it's, you know, I just Tough started thinking about when I presented at a hybrid event. So there was a live audience mm-hmm. and then an audience online. And I don't know how charismatic I am, but I definitely... You are. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely sure. get energy from the audience. Mm, so see. my every ounce of my nerves and anxiety and flop sweat was dedicated to the people that I couldn't see mm. on the other side of the screen. That's all I could think about the entire time. No problem with the live audience, but the people that I couldn't see, I was like, oh God, they're at home making fun oh. of me. Oh, oh, I look crazy, you know, oh, whatever. Isn't that interesting? Like how you are automatically thinking now about the audience is not even there and like, how am I coming across to them? Are they still excited? Are they still entertained between the, the group that's there and making the ones that are not there still feel as welcome and as an entertained and feel a part of the program and the environment as possible? Well, we are looking ahead to holiday party season. And I know that planners and chefs are having to make changes to the way they set up events to account for social distancing and make sure that people feel safe and comfortable. What kind of things are you seeing or hearing about or even implementing in your own events? I think that we're still transitioning, you know, into a space of of like, yes, things are lightening up and we're allowed to have, you know, larger events. However, I do still feel like there are uh, attendees and people going to even live events that, that may not feel as comfortable yet. And they still, we still have to have certain practices in place, the catering team or the, the servers or, you know, anyone that's working an event wearing masks and thinking about the flow and how we're managing food and how it's passed and served. Now there's more customized, individually plated hors d'oeuvres that you're serving, you know, customs and making it cute spoons or putting them in little containers or, you know, anyway, but doing more individualized and and plated things. I don't think that's going away completely yet. Aside from pandemic related stuff, Mm -hmm. any other holiday party trends that we should be aware of that I need to jot down for my next shopping trip? (laughs) Still... People still are loving photo booths, right? But the, the the way that a photo booth looks has changed. You can build custom backdrops, but now there's the 360 photo booth. So you don't even have to have a backdrop if you don't want. You can stand on a platform, circulate through the room and, you know, oh yeah. That's I haven't cool. seen that. That's oh yeah, cool. those are cool. They just kind of, you know, go show the 360 view of the room. So those are always fun. I still keep it fun with entertainment and you know, all of the, whether it's prizes or giveaways or awards, like all of those things would still be great at a holiday party. But if you're having it again, virtually, you can still, there's a lot of apps and programs right now that will help you facilitate really fun events. Like there are companies that will specifically only do like a virtual cookie decorating or virtual tastings or companies or apps that have uh, like scavenger hunts or holiday trivia. As you know, we want to make sure that our listeners come away from each episode of Top Floor with a couple of specific ideas to try in their businesses. What are one or two things that event planners and even event participants should think about to make the most of a hybrid event? 
So we touched on this a little bit earlier about really making sure that when you're building a program, you're thinking about it from two angles. If you're planning an event, a live and a like a live event and a virtual a hybrid together, whatever is going on there, the live event, the, the guests or the attendees should also have similar information. So if it's program pieces or you sent out little favors or things like that, even something else that I found is helpful is if there's different angles and shots of the room. I was attending a, an event and I was not there, and the camera was like facing a tree or something. It's like so one spot. And you could hear people talking about how wonderful the decor was and how amazing the atmosphere was. And I was sitting there like, well, I want as an event planner, I'm like, I want to see the decor, uh-huh. I see the, the chairs and the stage. And so I think, you know, having the different angles of the space so that they could feel the whole experience and really making sure that if there's giveaways or any activities that they can participate as well, you just have to speak to both audiences. You have to make sure both groups feel like they are a part of the same event, as hard as that may be. I really appreciate your point about showing the entire room. I think there is a much bigger appetite for behind the scenes or sort of less polish, less professionalism, and more reality. It seems like the interest or the acceptance of a little bit more... I I don't want to say rough around the edges, but a little bit more reality is more acceptable. What do you think? I think so. I think that is uh, probably something that has changed that might be for the better is just sort of this more relaxed environment of like, you know, everything does not have to be like ready show time. And then we show like it, it, people may want to feel like they're a part a little bit of the pre-reception or a part of that pre-event. And so I agree. I think that is something that's going to change and we'll see more changes with the event industry in terms of that. Long, long ago, when I was an off-premise caterer, people, it was right <laughs> around the same time that that movie, The Wedding Planner came out. And do you remember JLo had like that kit of stuff, you know? So if somebody's <laughs> button fell off, she had a needle right. thread or whatever, people need yeah. a Band-Aid, all that stuff. And I used to get teased about that constantly. But I'm curious if there are any tools that you have added to your toolkit after the last two years, either literal ones like a needle and thread or maybe something mm-hmm. more metaphorical. I think for me... I would say the tools are more metaphorical because there's just really been a transformation of the way that I view what I'm doing, my my purpose, what I'm able to give back and how I view events, especially since in my mind, I always thought that events were like never going anywhere. I mean, I always thought I was an industry that like someone's always going to have something like I can do a wedding, a party, a birthday, you know, something. Mm -hmm. When everything stopped, and there were no events, that changed my life. I'm not going to lie. Just in terms of how it forces you to think outside of the box and to really be more flexible and open and just really accepting of change and what new skills and new tools I will say that you are to learn. And I, I think that that was all for the better. I think that just helps you to be a more resilient person, planner, and just really open to change and open to new ideas. So the tools for me were really more personal and also stepping outside of my comfort zone. Okay. And I feel (laughs) a little bit guilty for now asking 
this silly question after such a thoughtful answer. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but I just want to know the answer to this. So sure, sure, sure. What do you think are a couple of really good holiday gift ideas for the event planner in your life? No, no. It, actually, it piggybacks off of what I just said. Awesome. Because for this event planner, please give me any kind of self-care spa day or something that allows me to just relax. You know, like I said, coming out of you know, these past couple of years, you know, I think anything that involves self-care or relaxation, I'm here for it. Sign me up. You don't have to get me anything else. Dear Mr. Robinson, gift. So, he's not here, but I've already, here, yes. Here. Hello, husband. I will <laughs> tell him. <laughs> spa, spa, relaxation, any kind of aroma, bath, candle. I don't care. Self-care. Self-care for me, number one. Understood. Well, it is now time for you to look past your candle and bath bomb <laughs> into your crystal ball Ooh. because I'm going to ask you to predict the future a little bit. Mm. Okay. So aside from the advances in technology, like the new platforms that have emerged over the last couple of years, what do you see as a future trend or the future in events? So I know you said other than technology, but I have to go back to the thought of really things becoming more of a hybrid experience and really just the reach, being able to reach audiences that you, or that an organization may not have been able to reach because we were thinking more, you know, locally that they can't make it, they can't make it. And so really thinking about how to market the event beforehand, while you're there and after, and really how to reach these groups of people that you typically weren't thinking about. And so I think that's going to be a big, for me personally, that's a, a big change that I see because all of my clients now are talking about hybrid when we weren't talking about hybrid before. You might've had some live streaming going on, but this next level of how we're thinking about it is to me, is a new, uh, a, a new direction and a direction that I feel is going to stay. I love that idea of global audiences and mm -hmm. really being able to find your audience and your community without the confines of travel or locality. That's interesting. What mm -hmm. is a dream event for you? If you could, you know, wave your magic wand and <laughs> do any event in the world, what would it be? So I really love larger production events. And even though I didn't necessarily go to school for production per se. I consider myself a producer of the events that I do. And I really love more award shows, like something that is a combination of my interests here. So I, I think we started off saying that I love music, right? And I was thinking about going into that. I am a music person. I sing all the time. I, my children, music, music. So I, I also like to infuse entertainment in all that I do. So if I'm doing anything in, in the entertainment world, that would actually be super exciting for me that, to do something like that. But I also love events that are also merging the, the philanthropic side or the community-related honors or people doing work and social justice works. So I like those type of events that merge together those different elements because that's who I am and what I do now. But I would love to do it on a scale of like that level of a scale up for like larger award show production. Events. I think the Kennedy Center Honors needs to call you. That, hello, that right there. <laughs> Kennedy Center Honors, I love, yeah, like 
there's the NAACP Image Awards, hello, uh, mm-hmm. Black Girls Rock, like, I don't know, just those kind of events that are really honoring all different types of people and the great work that they're doing in the community, but I love the entertainment aspect of it too. So that would be ideal and, and a dream for me. And thanks for calling that out. Is anyone listening? Um, <laughs> Dear Kennedy Center, NAACP Image Awards, hey, etc. <laughs> I'm here. What about what's a nightmare event for you? Something that a style of event that you would never want to do again, or maybe a disaster that happened that you would never want to repeat? Okay, so (laughs) that's interesting. So I'm I'm not going to say like a nightmare, like I'm not going to call this a nightmare of an event, but I'm going to say this I am a live girl, a live event girl all the way. Like I really love being in the moment, designing to court energy people. And virtual events for me, (laughs) you did what you had to do, but that's not my ideal place. That's not my happy place. That's not where I want to be. And so I think it's great that we have that as an option, but to have that as our only option, like when we could not do anything else, that was a little bit of a struggle because that's not where my passion lies. So maybe am, a bad dream, not a nightmare. <laughs> I'm not going to call it a nightmare because it is, we needed it and it was important and it was, it kept us safe and it was a necessary thing. But am I going to sit here and say that that is my favorite type of event to do? No, I, I, I like to be in the thick of things in the moment. I, like I said, I'm an energy girl. I need to be and feel and touch and, and be around all, all the amazing people. You too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gemini thing again? Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, yes. So what is next for you and what is next for your company? Yeah, so I am just trying to grow my team, really just kind of bounce back from everything that's been going on, but really grow my team. I want to start focusing on really more marketing, social media, like those pieces, like bringing on, I, I don't need like a, a 50 person team, but I do want to grow my team so that I can really start to focus more on relationship building and working on meeting new clients and more high level structure things, bring in more planners and helping with marketing and social media. So those are the things like the areas that I want to focus on in terms of internally, in terms of my company and structure. I want to continue to challenge myself and my company to take on new projects and try new things and really step outside the box. And so I'm here for all of that. And I'm going to tell you a little secret. I'm going to drop a little nugget here today with you. But I also have a goal and a a, a passion and a wish to have my own event space. I would really love at some point to have my own space. And that's something that I'm working on. Thank you. For your (laughs) own event space, would it be like a theater auditorium type place or a beautiful mansion or a shipping container? (laughs) What would it be? I'm drawn to industrial spaces. I think it needs to be a multi-purpose space somewhere where, I mean, it still has to have a chic element, but I like the rawness of some spaces that sort of mix that together. I also want to be able to have a space where people can convene and meet. And I work with a lot of nonprofits. So kind of finding a way to have an element where I'm giving back to, it's like so funny when you're out here looking at spaces all the time, you start to see where the holes are or 
you know, there's a lot, a lot of clients are moving towards, they want unique spaces. You can only find a couple that maybe can hold 400, 500. So anyway, I've been keeping notes of all the things like the holes and the kind of the size space that I want and all of that, but just really thinking about it in a a grander way. I really want to think, like be thoughtful about what it represents. I have no doubt that this is going to happen because you said it out loud. <laughs> and I don't say it out loud. Top four. <laughs> and you got the exclusive, Susan. <laughs> Breaking exclusive. news, ladies and gentlemen. Now people are going to be asking you later, like, uh, Jane, what's going on with this uh, space that you say you want to, you know, create? Okay, folks, before we tell Jane a goodbye, we are going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. <laughs> Going down. Jaina, what is a story you would only tell on the loading dock? I can plan for all things that come up, like anything that arises uh, during an event. And so we had one situation where we went through hours and hours and hours of AV, like our run throughs and checking everything and making sure everything was great. And then we get to the part of the program, which was like a really important part of the program, like honoring someone is a really big thing. And the video rolls and it's like no sound. (laughs) And we're all looking like, where's the sound? What's going on? So, I mean, that was like a moment where, because I'm pretty much a perfectionist. I wanted to like hide and under a rock or like, what do we do? I don't care what planner is out there. There's always something that happens during your career where you're like, Ooh. but what, what matters is how do you bounce back? How do you get it fixed? And we did, got it fixed right away. We, re- we had to rerun it, but it all got fixed very, very quickly. It's like moments like those where you realize that like having that skill and ability to be able to problem solve is a huge part of what we do, but that is like something I'd like to forget about. <laughs> Again, I'm giving to, you an exclusive. <laughs> I have to tell you though, that those kinds of things are what make events memorable and special. It's sort of like the wabi-sabi idea that the broken place and a piece of pottery you fill in with gold. Mm, it's that thing of that. like, you know, like how we always tell brides that if it rains on their wedding day, it's good luck. Yeah, yeah. That kind of thing. Right. When things go a little awry, it can create some of the most lasting memories. And nobody holds it against you. You sometimes just have to let it go and fix it, get it done. And you know, and I think that I'm I'm good at that. Maybe later I was like, well, but then you realize again, it was still a beautiful event evening. And you probably were the one of the ones that was dying, but everyone else was probably like, where's the food and the drinks? What's next? So it was a great, again, one of the the many skill sets of a planner is, again, problem solving and be able to move on with a smile too. You can't let anybody know you're sweating. That's something that I pride myself on. You have to have a good attitude and keep it moving. That is a very impressive skill. Jaina Robinson, thank you so much for being here. I am absolutely sure that our listeners got great ideas and I really appreciate you riding up to the top floor. Yes. Thank you for inviting me. I had a great time. This episode is sponsored in part by She Has a Deal. She Has a Deal offers inspiration and education to achieve the goal of increasing the number of women hotel owners and developers. 
with pitch competitions for both early career and experienced women. Programs channel the power of collaboration and mentorship by connecting experts and newbies, experienced investors, and hotel operations leaders. Learn more at shehasadeal.com. Thank you for joining us today. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash 13. Top Floor is a production of Long Live Lodging. Our elevated elevator music was composed and performed by John Albano, designed by Neha Patel and Jason Lum. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues after you leave us a five-star review. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode. 